Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by the Sidious Mag Newsletter. Sign up at SidiousMag.substack.com to get your weekly fix of all the latest news, commentary, and more from all around the running world provided by yours truly. Every week, we're doing a giveaway like some of our crew neck sweaters, our hoodies. I've implemented a crossword puzzle that's been a hit with some of the readers. The newsletter also lets you keep up with all of the podcasts and shows that we're releasing all across the Sidious Mag podcast family. It's once a week and keeps you in the know. It takes two seconds to sign up. It's SidiousMag.substack.com. You can also find the link in the show notes. So sign up today. My guest for today's podcast episode is Anthony Hamilton Jr. He's a high jumper at Clemson University. He's also a dunking sensation with more than 80,000 Instagram followers and more than 100,000 TikTok followers. We posted one of his videos to the Sidious Mag Instagram page a few days ago about how he started off playing basketball at Division III University of Laverne and then caught the attention of the track and field coach there and got involved with the sport and then jumped on an opportunity if you see what I did there, to 10 Clemson. It's a cool story, but it's one that gets lost if the men's track and field program doesn't exist, and that's what might happen. Earlier this month, Clemson's athletic department announced plans to cut the team after the 2021 outdoor season. Now it's full steam ahead. For all the athletes and alums, they're rallying to save the program. Anthony has been one of the vocal leaders in that effort. He sat down with the athletic director and the assistant athletic director to discuss things with them, and... While he's got some eligibility left and he could possibly transfer before January, he said he's not backing down from this fight. So I hope you take inspiration from him and consider signing the petition, which more than 30,000 people have. I've included the link in the show notes. So without further ado, here is Anthony Hamilton Jr. All right, now we welcome on Anthony Hamilton Jr. to the City of Smack podcast. And honestly, first off, congrats. You're the first high jumper I think I've had on this podcast. And it's almost 200 episodes. It's taken me a while. <laughs> I appreciate you for having me on, bro. It's a blessing. I want to go a little bit cr- chronologically in your story and for the listeners to really get to know you because, you know, I saw the video that we reposted onto the Sidious Mag Instagram and you posted that maybe a couple months back in the summer without, it re- without really realizing just how relevant it would be months later because what it did was it summarized sort of your athletic career in high jump, you know, from the University of Laverne in California to getting Clemson's attention. But I want to go before that. Okay. You went to Russell Westbrook's high school, if I read up on you correctly. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And originally a basketball star. So kind of take me through your introduction to sport and why basketball was a natural fit for you at the very beginning. Uh, well, growing up in Los Angeles, the basketball culture is, is similar to like New York. So basketball is a big sport in Los Angeles. So I grew up in a single parent at home and I kind of used basketball as like an outlet for different frustrations I had, you know, growing up, learning how to be a man, this, that, and the third. So I picked up basketball. I wasn't that good when I started, obviously. I was a kid in the little rec league, you know, shooting on the wrong side of the court, doing all stuff like that. And I found a passion for it um, late in my middle school years. I, I think I made the A team in eighth grade. 
and that's when I really like fell in love with it. Um, everybody started to notice my athletic ability kind of stood out from everybody else's just, you know, I haven't really worked out or specified what I want to do with it, but that's just something that um, stood out. So it was natural and going into high school, um, the coach that was initially there, um, I have a family member that worked with him. So they kind of like, they didn't really recruit me to go there, but they was just like, I want you to go here to play here because this program is is dope. You know what I'm saying? So went to high school, went to losing your high school in Lawndale, California. Um, my freshman year, I played freshman basketball with all the freshmen. And sophomore year is kind of where everything started for me when I started to go uphill in athletics world because I blew my knee out twice in one year. So I had um, two knee surgeries, got three screws in my knee. I was out my whole sophomore year. And, and at that point, I realized like I really loved basketball because I was so shocked that I was like, damn, I can't play anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like they told me I can't play. I can't do this, that, or third. But um, after the second time that I did it in that year, um, I just focused on rehabbing to get back. And I started documenting everything at that point, just like pictures, little videos here and there, you know what I'm saying, just to keep me motivated. Um, junior year, made the varsity team, and we got sponsored by Jordan that year, which, you know, Russell is a Jordan athlete. So kind of helped us out with that. And that's when I started to, like, blow up in the basketball world. Um, with like my dunk videos and with playing with Luzinger and just doing stuff outside of that. So the the injury is what I want to focus on before. How severe was it? Because I think to the it got to the point where blowing your knee out twice, like you know, mm -hmm. it's like two strikes already. What happens if you did it again? Yeah. So I that was the main thing that coaches were worried about at the time, and that my family was worried about. Um, I just. I was just in the mindset of I want to do something. Nothing's really going to stop me. If it happens, it's just meant to happen this way, you know. But it was it was a bad injury. The first time, I fractured my tibia. So the first time, I fractured my tibia, and um, it was my first ever broken, broken bone. It was my first ever injury, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't really know how to handle it at first. But the second time, it was a compound fracture, which means my bone came out of my skin. So... Yeah, like Kevin Ware, Paul George, like that type of caliber of injury. So um, that happened, and I was just like, look, if if I'm not meant to be an athlete, if it happens this third time, you know what I'm saying, that's that. But I just wanted to be an athlete. Like I'm passionate about sports, you know. Right, so the ceiling there isn't so high to the point where it's like, you know, after those injuries, those guys – have you know had those injuries at the NBA level at the college level so you know if they really didn't have that much else to to really chase after you were very young still had a whole you know college career ahead of you why did you choose to continue pursuing basketball and it sounds like there weren't there wasn't any interest except for one school yeah so yeah I just like I said that was kind of my outlet um, outside of everything else that was going on in my life, I, you know, LA is like, it can be really good or really, really bad, you know? So it's, it's either hit or miss. I was kind of in the middle with both sides. Like my mom tried, well, my mom did make it happen for me. She made sure I was taken care of, had everything I need, but just when I'm by myself with influences and different stuff, I kind of experienced different things that, um, a kid my age shouldn't experience. So just using basketball, I felt so relieved and free 
playing that sport or just working out being a part of athletics. And I didn't want anybody to take that from me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the school that you ended up at was the University of Laverne. Yes. You get there. I mean, what is the hope and what did you want to accomplish in sport? Um, well, I'm a first generation student, a first generational student. So I'm the first one to go to college in my family. First one to be a, a college athlete. Um, I picked up Laverne through my travel team. I didn't actually pick it up through uh, playing high school. So I played travel ball one season and I picked it up the first game. Uh, and I was just like, listen, it, time's running down. Like I want to go to school, but I could have went to school just to be a student, but I wanted to go and play a sport. So I picked that school up that game, signed immediately. Um, I just really wanted to to stop the trend of black men in my family not going to college. So that was kind of like my motive. Like I want to go to college, boom, that's going to happen. Now let's see if we can turn it up. Let's see if I can be an athlete. Boom, make that happen. And then obviously transferred here. What was your mom's reaction to you making that decision to, to go to that school? To Laverne or to Clemson? To Laverne. To Laverne. Um, toward the back end of my high school year, she, the, the path that I was on, the second half of my high school years, I was like, just going up, up, up. Academics was good. Like she kind of expected it. I traveled all over the country to look at different schools. Um, I was a part of a program that, that gets uh, low income students out to different states to look at schools just to, you know, inspire them. So I was a part of that staff. And she kind of expected me to go to school at that point. Uh, she was just very supportive. My stepdad was very supportive. And they just made sure, like, whatever I want to do, if I'm happy, they're happy with it, you know? When does track come into the picture? Because from what I read up, it was like the track coach at Laverne, you know, saw some interest and then you step on the track for the first time and that, and that was your first ever practice. So what exactly did you even know about the sport at that time? Actually, like I knew about track. I hated running in high school, you know, like who likes to run, you know what I'm saying? But it happened like this and this is the funniest thing. So the basketball coach, his name is Richard Reed, one of my best friends. I still talk to him to this day. Um, he, we were in the off season. I didn't play that much at Laverne. I got like the freshman treatment, you know what I'm saying? Just to learn the playbook and stuff like that. So I'm like, I want to be active. I'm not tired. Like I want to do something different. And he was like, well, I mean, the track coach been talking to me. Like he wants me to put you on anyway, you know, so let's try that. So I'm told him, I'm like, I'm not running. I'm going to jump. I could jump. I'll try jumping. Um, long jump didn't go that well. So I moved on, try high jump. Um, and my first practice, I think I jumped a height that they haven't seen jumped in a while in basketball. They didn't even tell me what it was. They just were surprised when I jumped it. And then from that day on, it went from me just watching the practice to me trying something. And then I was on the team at that point, just killing it. You said you did it in basketball shoes? Yeah, yeah. For the first the first few track meets, I jumped in basketball shoes, for sure. And as, as you're kind of, like, getting started in the sport, like, are you getting excited by what you're doing? I, the thing, I was so immature in the sport at that time, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, honestly. Like, I was just mm -hmm. like, I'll do something and then look for a reaction to see if it was good or not. It was at that point, but... Towards the end of the season, when I was starting to like get ranked in the country and 
um, having more conversations with my future, with the coaches and stuff like that, I started to understand more. But at the beginning, I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it, you know? But I learned, um, I learned and gained a love for it after a while. When, Clebs, when Clemson pops on the radar, it seemed like you immediately just sort of jumped on it. Why was it such a quick decision? Actually, this is the funniest thing. Um, I was an intern for Adidas. So I helped with design marketing, this, that, and the third. In the summertime, I've done it since I was like 16 years old. I was at work when I signed um, with Clemson. I was at work. I just did it. I was like, I want to go. It's Clemson. Let's do it. Let's go. But um, basically, I just knew like, okay, there's an opportunity here. They're looking at me. And they're like, okay, you can be valuable to this team. I'm going to take it. And I met the the track coach, Mark Elliott. I met him as me being a basketball player years prior with these college tours that I was doing. So I uh, met him here. Um, and then he kind of like recognized me like, oh, he's doing track now. Let's see. You know, I met you before. I know what kind of person you are. Uh, let's do it. And I was just like, let's go and transfer it out. According to this article on like the Clemson website, I think you headed to Clemson before you had even like everything had been like locked up. Yeah, I was ready. So I moved everything from Los Angeles to South Carolina uh, before I was even accepted into the university. So I'm a big person with taking risks. And I was just like, well, if he says I'm gonna get accepted, I mean, you know, well, let's try it. Let's go ahead. Get, I'll be waiting. I'll be here. So I kind of just packed my whole life up and just moved out here. And that was a decision like my mom was kind of iffy on because it is South Carolina and, and I've never lived out of state from home before. And she's just, you're moving in everywhere you even know what's going on. So right. that was just, yeah. So in this news report that happened kind of over the weekend at, at this rally, I caught on to the fact that you said that, track and at least like the sport and this opportunity that presented itself to you saved your life why i feel like it's not only given me an opportunity but it's given opportunities to other athletes that are in these low-income neighborhoods or in bad situations it just gives them a chance to get out you know so me being in the situation i was in and laverne's never a bad it's not a bad um, position that I was in, but it's just the fact that, okay, the whole story, I, I injured myself, I started playing basketball, I started this new sport, and then I'm at a power five university now for this sport that I started less than three years ago, you know, and that's like, opportunities come with that, uh, things like this come, like doing, doing interviews and podcasts, and people are interested in my story and motivating people, like, people look up to me for stuff like that, you know? And I feel like it changed my life because it not only gave me a new perspective of what could happen in life, but I'm able to teach people and motivate other people to do the same thing. You know, it's never too late to do something. Yeah, you've got a pretty big following on on Instagram. I see that you've been featured on World Star, ESPN, you know, House of Highlights. Can you pinpoint, I guess, what it was exactly that propelled you to sort of like this this bigger media fame? Yeah, so I started, it's really with like content creation and that's the other side of athletics, like the other life that I live with athletics, like there's obviously the college life, but then I feel like I have a good personality and I want to be able to project 
check that on social media, whether it's doing like these dunk sessions or doing like video shoots or whatever I'm doing. Um, I started doing that. And then that's when I started tracking my following because people like what I post, whether it's about Clemson, um, personal life stuff, or just content. And I, um, I started with Instagram and then I kind of move, I'm moving towards TikTok a little bit more because that's what's popular. Um, my TikTok following is blowing up and I just recently got verified on there. So it's like, I'm just all over the place, like hopping social media platforms, trying different stuff. Um, but I just feel like that's another outlet that I can get away from college sports because that is the job. You know, mm-hmm. you always need a break from a job. So I just use that as like self-entertainment, entertaining people, just having fun with it. Can you take me to the first dunk? Do you remember it? Oh, yeah. I have. I think I have a video on my phone of my first dunk, but I was at a gym called uh, Del Air Gym. It's literally two minutes from my house, the house that I still live in now. And my friend, his name is Dominique Alexander. We always, we grew up playing basketball together, and we've always talked about the day I'm going to get my first dunk. So we went up there. I'm like, I'm going to dunk today. I don't care what we talking about. We not leaving until I dunk. When I tell you this was the most exciting week dunk that I've done in my life, like I was like, I barely got the ball in, but we were so hyped because I did it. You know what I'm saying? It was the first thing. But that was like one of my lifetime moments for me. Now you've got what is it? A 58 inch vertical? Yeah. Well, it's not a it's not a 58, but it's <laughs> up there. It's- it's it's over 50 for sure, but it's it's not a 58. I think I've seen an article. I think that was a typo, but that's like world record. I say I'm gauging more towards 53-ish, 52, you know what I'm saying, max jump. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's up there for sure. It's up so there. I went to, to Marquette, and we had Wally Allenson, who's the brother of Henry Allenson, who was drafted by the Pistons, and – Wally was a high jumper at Minnesota before he transferred and like he had some really good uh, hops when it came to the high jump to the point where like people were saying he could probably contend, you know, for maybe a spot at the uh, finish pretty high at the Olympic trials. I don't know necessarily making like sort of the Olympic team, um, especially if he had decided to stick with the sport. And I think he ultimately chose basketball, even if it's like, all right, is it, you know, the trials, the end game, or even just playing professional basketball in Europe or some small league, like the temptation is sometimes the love of the game takes over and you choose, you know, the, the less glamorous option of, of like Olympics. But um, can you sort of explain to someone like me to, and some of the listeners out there who probably don't really know the difference between, high jump hops and basketball hops is there much of a difference there is so different bro like i feel like it just depends on what type of jumper you are i'm a two foot jumper that's i get the highest off of two feet my high jump leg is also the leg that i injured so i always get shin splints tendonitis, all types of stuff you know what i'm saying that hinders me from being able to jump my highest but um I feel like, honestly, if I had the same pop off of two that I, like, if I had the same pop that I have off of two with one foot and high jump, I would be in the Olympics for sure, hands down. I know for a fact. Like, Really? It's so, yes, it's so different, and it's so technical. Like, basketball, all you got to do really is just low jump with the ball. High jump, it's calculation, it's fast twitch is like your curve it's it's just all types of things that you have to put in consideration to get your jump 
you know. So. How quickly did you start to study it? When, when I start to study it, when I realized I was starting to be like I had potential in the sport, I, I was curious because I'm like a perfectionist. Like I don't like not being good at something, you know. So I was just like, okay, well, let me see how he does it. And I didn't watch um, Barshim. He's a great high jumper. I watched some Team USA jumpers. I watched some Nike jumpers. Like, and I just see there's so many different styles and I try different things, but I kind of find my own style with high jump. But that's really when I started to um, study it and gain interest in it when I noticed that I had potential. The funniest part about high jump is sort of when you do tell someone like what the height is, you being a guy who's rooted in basketball, do you ever find yourself thinking, he's like, man, I just jumped over, you know, whoever XYZ player's height? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the time. I do it all the time, bro. I do it all the time. Especially like when I jump, I think the first time I jumped seven feet, I sat down, I was like, damn, I just jumped over Shaq. Like <laughs> I was lit. I was like, oh, hold on. We're going to have to try that one day. <laughs> um, you're being able to dunk and all this kind of stuff and like the videos that you put together if I was a coach I'd obviously you know have my own sort of reservations about one of my athletes doing this constantly how does that work with with you and your coach like are you allowed to dunk in season or like are there times where you're not allowed to yeah it's limited like it they put together a strict training schedule of how they expect us to progress and like load our bodies and release that um I've got at first they weren't really happy with it you know um but after a while they started to allow me to do it a little bit more in season if we're at the top of the season it's okay every once in a while but when it comes towards championship season it's a no-go you know what I'm saying so um but they it's gotten to a point where Saturdays like my cross training days I can go dunk for cross training mm-hmm. so I just put it a part of my regimen because they know like I love to do that. You know, it's good releasing to get my mind off the track or whatever's going on. So they've kind of put it into my training schedule a little bit. So is it more of just like a, like a mental rule and like, uh, and a, like a mental sort of training than it is like, or do you get something physically out of being able to dunk? I get some, it's, and what people don't realize is like dunking is a workout, especially if you're trying to jump your highest every time and over and over again, like, just go outside and jump in the grass for an hour straight as high as you can. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a good workout and it's very beneficial. And that's how I've been able to progress with like my athleticism over the years. Cause I've done it almost every week, like for the last few years, you know, but um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's helped a lot and it's, it's a mental release. It's something I use to just get my mind off of everything. Like I feel at peace when I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. See, this is this is a podcast, so it's not as cool unless you're able to see it visually. And maybe we could splice together sort of a video. But what would you say is the coolest dunk you've ever put together? And then also, what is a dunk that you want to put together? Like, what? Like, is there something in the works that you really want to nail? The coolest I've done. I feel like personally, with me by myself, without using anybody else. Uh, the coolest one I've done is probably either the 360 between the legs dunk or the behind the back dunk. Um, with somebody, there was a video that went like crazy viral. We wedged the ball up in the rim and I had somebody go up there and kick it. And then I grabbed it and went like that was one of the craziest videos I've ever posted. 
Um, something I'm working on now, I say uh, I was working on a, a double windmill. Like you windmill once and then you do it again. Like I'm working on that and I'm working on like a, a, a 360 behind the back between the legs dunk. Like, and that's just practicing on low rims, you know? So, so we're not that. at, we're not at a uh, Blake Griffin, like over a car level yet. Oh yeah. I mean, I can jump over a hood of a car. Yeah. But I'm trying to like do like, I'm trying to do more technical stuff because people have seen it so much. Like I'm trying to pull something out that's different. Gotcha. Um, it's sort of like, yeah, I know you're pretty all in on, on high jump right now. But if we look ahead to maybe, you know, next year or, you know, two, three years from now, where, where do you see, I guess, like dunking taking you? And then where do you see high jump taking you? Do you have a preference right now of what, which avenue you kind of would lean towards? Because I'm guessing like there's, there's limited opportunities in both. Obviously, like not everyone can go pro in track and field. And then at the same time, like maybe I guess dunking gets you on like the Harlem Globetrotters or something like that. So. I actually had an opportunity to join the Harlem Globetrotters out of high school that I turned down because I wanted to go to school, obviously. But um, I I use dunking as just like a content creation tool. Like I don't see myself 10 years from now just doing dunk sessions, you know what I'm saying? This is just a way that I build my networking, meet people, and then get on the business side of everything. Because uh, people that know me personally, they know I'm like a business networking person. Like I'm passionate about it, you know? Um, I want to be able, two, three years from now, I want to be able to work with like media outlets and brands and um, do content creation in a way. Obviously I'm probably going to be dunking while I can, you know, when I, until I get too old, but I want to just meet people and network and, and build an empire for myself so I can be able to like lay something down for my siblings and for my family to come, you know, just building something out of what I'm starting now. Yeah. I mean, the videos that you produce are very high quality. I enjoy, and you kind of know, I think at this point, it's like the way you capture someone's attention, it has to be super quick because no one has like the attention span to watch sometimes like a 13, 20 minute long video. And TikTok has really shortened sort of that attention span. I'm kind of curious, you know, because you're blowing up on Instagram and TikTok and you ha might have to choose your words a little bit carefully here, because, you know, there's so many of these athletes who over the past couple of years have started like YouTube channels and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's that aspect to it where they're also missing out on the monetization of it. Like you, you're racking up all these crazy views. And if you were just a normal person, you'd probably be making some sort of money from the ads that run on them. Exactly. Does it bother you a little bit that it's like you have like this this window where you're you're hitting it big, but it's on pause because you know you you have to compete for the NCAA. Yeah, and that's something I've talked about to like compliance and my media team multiple times. I just look at it like this. Obviously, it's frustrating. They know I'm frustrated with that, um, but I'm just using this time. Like, this is what I told one of my friends. His name is Daniel. Back in Los Angeles, I say you can only go up. There's no going down from the point that you're at. Um, if I just continue to build, 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 when I have that opportunity to do so, I can maximize it much more than now, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I'm just being patient. Like I am a senior. I may compete as an NCAA athlete with my two years of eligibility left after this. I'm not sure what's going to happen yet. Um, and then also with the rule that might come to effect in January of 2021. So it's just so many things right now, but it is a frustration of mine. I'm just focused on building it, um, locked in on track and, and trying to see where it goes from there. Because I started, I have a YouTube channel too that blew up over quarantine. And I can't, they was on me about that because they're like, are you making money? Are you doing, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, no, they're off. Like, I'm not doing anything, you know, just mm-hmm. chilling. Right. And so you always have to be careful with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you've, yeah. you've touched on uh, your eligibility with Clemson. Now there's, you know, obviously like that big factor of like, you've got two years left, yeah. but only one, I guess, while the track team is still sort of around because they're cutting the men's program at the end of the 2021 season in that announcement. Where were you when that was announced and what was your immediate reaction? So the day that it happened, it was really weird, like how everything happened. It happened so fast. So I was in this room. Um, I got an email and it was from Dan and it said uh, emergency meeting. Um, it's important. And I knew it was serious when it said, if you have class, we'll give you an excuse. Come, come. You're missing class, you're missing tutoring, you're going to come to this meeting. So we're like, okay. Like, I don't know. I called my teammate. Um, I called one of my female teammates. She didn't get the same email as me. So I'm like, okay. I'm thinking I'm in trouble by myself. Like, what do I do? So um, we got up there, sat us down in the volleyball gym. There was a podium. And I kind of had an idea uh, when I sat down because I had to really think about it. Like, okay, I'm, you know, I know what's going on. And he walked in, he told us. And when he said it, I was just, I was in shock. I was like, what? Like, are you serious type of thing? And our coaches, I knew I knew what it was going to be when I seen our coaches walk in. When they walked in, because they learned what happened an hour before they told us. And he stressed the fact that um, they've been working on it for months and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, damn, well, we out here getting ready to compete for you guys. And you know what I'm saying? So... I was just frustrated. I was shocked. Um, and we just worked on what we're going to do to try to overturn this. And I'm actually meeting with him today to just talk to him and see where his mind is at with all this stuff that's going on. So. What is it that you want to say or discuss, I guess, kind of like in that meeting? Well, I just want, because everybody is always like so tied into like media and, I have to write a script of what I'm going to say. I have to write a speech. I just want to sit down and no cameras, no audio, nothing. Just see how he really feels about it. You know, I had a meeting with the assistant athletic director. director. His name is Graham Neff. Um, Really cool guy. Like, he's really cool. He sat down. We sat down for like an hour. He broke everything down to me of why they did it and alternatives and, you know, stuff like that. Um, And he said he's here if I need anything. So the meeting today so I can talk to Dan get the same thing what he feels about it and what can possibly be done to save it or what we need to do you know so that's what we're gonna basically talk about yeah so in that meeting with the assistant you know athletic director he told you why there's the reasons given in the in the press release that that went out and in it it sort of said like this is not gonna get reversed um and so kind of like 
they initially always say that, but then there's going to be obviously backlash and sort of a response. When he's giving you the reasons why, did it make sense to you? It, it did. Some parts did and some parts didn't. What I were mean, the reasons why? The reasons why it made sense is because, I mean, obviously they had the charts and the numbers and all types of stuff like that. Um, so uh, from a business perspective, I understood it, you know, but previously, um, prior to me coming here, like they've been stressing how like, we're not focused, we're not a family focused on a dollar sign. Like if you're a tiger, you're a tiger. Um, you know, if we're all family, we all work together, we work hard. We have combined 23 ACC championships appearances at the national championship every year, you know, like it's, we're doing our job you know? So I was just confused of why such a successful program, you know, and, you know, and he, he told me, and I can't really go too deep into detail what we talked about, but he told me that they've thought about cutting rosters on every team to do so. That wouldn't have worked. Um, they talked about adding a female team like beach volleyball or something that didn't, that they don't have the funds for it, obviously. So I was just like, how, how do we not have the funds, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, The general reaction, and it's always like interesting to see the follow-up of what happens. There's, there's obviously outrage people, you know, voice their, their support and these petitions come out. Lots of people have signed, signed a petition, but how far do you see something like that going and how do you instill hope among, you know, your teammates and among alums in the conversations you're having? Well, you know, when we're talking about such a prestigious school and such a diverse program, such a, a successful program with Olympic athletes, um, it's not only hurting us as athletes, it's hurting these students that dream to come here and run to get out their situations. We're talking about the whole track community. Like our sport is dying, you know, it's slowly dying. And what I tried to explain to my team, like if they can move the Olympic games, like, you know, anything, you know, this has been consistent for the last decades, centuries, you know what I'm saying? If they can move that, that means our sport is in jeopardy. You know, this, this pandemic, or the Title IX, or the universities, or the professional athletes, whatever they're going through, they have to suck it up. It's serious because we're fighting for the sport. And I haven't been in the sport for long, but I've gained a love for it. And um, I'm just trying to do everything I can to try to get this overturned if it's a possibility. Um, and I just don't like being told no at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to try regardless. You mentioned those future generations of possible like Clemson athletes and the people like you who have had a case where, you know, you see this as a much better opportunity to get out of where you, you started. And so what stuck out to me from the announcement was in our long-term planning, we looked at the changing demographics of the Clemson campus of Clemson's men's sports, only men's track and field and cross country could provide the department with both substantial cost, cost savings as well as the ability for long-term Title IX compliance. And then after that, a friend of mine had texted me saying that he counted it up, and from Clemson's non-revenue sports, it was 20 black track and field athletes, eight black soccer players, two black baseball players, one black cross-country runner, 
zero black tennis players, and zero black golfers. So that means 21 of the 31 athletes in these sports have been cut with the elimination of men's track and field and cross country. What's your reaction to hearing those numbers? Well, so we actually been given like fact sheets. Like we, I put together this, well, we have people that put together these fact sheets and everything. So that's, that number is actually 67% of non-revenue generating black athletes. Um, I just feel like it's a, that's a big number to play with, you know, like, it's just, it's shocking to me. And I feel like there's so many different ways that this can be handled, even if this is like a future problem. You know, it's not a problem right now, but like with the Title IX, they're saying it's gonna be a future problem. So they're doing this now. It could have been something that was progressively changing. They could have altered how we recruit. They could have altered, you know, like there's so many different ways we could have gone about this. And when I seen those numbers, it's just like, well, we're already a predominantly white institution. This is only going to add on to that, you know, mm-hmm. just giving less opportunity to um, a more diverse sport in the sport world. One of the most diverse sports ever created, you know what I'm saying? So it just hurts to see that. A lot of people are also very quick to immediately point out some of like, well, Dabo Swinney makes X amount of money and the football team you know, facilities cost X millions of dollars. How do you sort of interpret the university's handling of like sort of like the budgeting and all that? Because it is a very quick argument to make, but it's not something that was maybe foreseen, you know, a year or so ago before this pandemic hit. And I have, I have some of my closest friends on the football team. They work hard. They deserve everything that they get. And I don't, I just, it just frustrates me when people just automatically point them out and blame them because those are my brothers, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's just, that's business. Like, if, if you're successful, you're going to get paid. They've won multiple national championships. They have some of the best athletes on in, in the country, in the world, you know what I'm saying? And they do their thing in pro leagues and stuff like that. So every dollar that they get is earned. Um, I feel like when it comes to saving a program that's been here alongside with them, also a successful program, I feel like there's a way that it can be saved if we're talking about $2 million a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I have nothing against the football team. Like I said, those are my brothers, and I will never put football in and our track team getting cut in the same conversation because – you know, they earn what they get. Yeah. You know, they get what they earn. They, you know, they're, they're a great team. So It's funny. My high school coach would argue, sort of, like, and he's more of like, you know, throw, throwing out a hot take out there. He's like, well, if the football team all of a sudden just said, we're not going to play unless you reinstall, like, the, the track team, I'm like, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, that's, that's a yeah, very that's big not- ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. They, we've, we've talked about all the alternatives and stuff like that. Um, I just feel like it's it's really, bro, it's just we have to play it by ear right now. Um, we're doing everything we can, like with the little protests and the emails and having the this big group chat with all our alumni, have people flying down here to support um, and just getting it out in the media. You know, we need mm-hmm. media t- attention to help this because 
eventually they're going to get tired of hearing it and they're going to be like, you know what, let's just, you know, so that's the goal of what we're trying to do. It's hard to compare from school to school, but if we see how like William and Mary sort of handled their thing, it was like the women's team put a lot of pressure by saying, you know, we're not going to compete unless we're, you know, the men are also, you know, reinstated. And in a video, I think that was posted on like the Save Clemson, like Instagram page, it was sort of, it also had mentioned how like you guys are one team from your conversations with the women how are they taking this and, and is something like that sort of on the table right now? Mm-hmm. They, so our women have done a great job of standing by us through everything. Um, we are one team and we're one family. And it's just a thing of like track growing up and a lot of these athletes been doing track their whole lives. I'm probably the only one that started late, you know what I'm saying? Like in college, but they've been doing it their whole lives. All track teams have both genders, hands down. Like when you, that's like saying on a basketball team, there's no assistant coaches, there's no team managers, just the head coach and the players. Like it feels awkward. You know, there's no connection, it's no family. Um, so I feel like they also feel like, you know, you're breaking a piece of our family off. It's not the same. We can either fight to save this or go somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know? And then, um, I know if we're at the minimum for teams on a Division One campus or something like that, if they don't compete, we're not a Division One anymore because we're below the limit. But I don't know if it's going to go to that extreme. Um, but they, they're they frustrated, just like mm-hmm. we are. So they're riding right along with us, and they're going to do the same until this gets reinstated. So. How do conversations go with the coaches right now? Because they're in a tough spot too, where it's like it's their bosses who are making the decisions and they have to go about this job for the next, you know, less than a year now, I guess, until the program gets cut, just trying to, I mean, it feels like the charge is led by the athletes. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's so tough, bro, because it's like, you know, we know they want to support us so bad and we put them in a stressful position. They put them in a very stressful position, even with like our media team. Cause it's like, everybody wants to support us that works for them and these are their bosses, but they can't, they can't really say anything to jeopardize, you know, how they provide for their families or, you know, their jobs of how they're going to move forward after this. So I just, um, me and a few other of my teammates, we just took lead with this and we're going to be the faces of it. We're going to make sure um, we're doing what it is to get done. We're going to meet with these people, have these protests, um, and then we're going to kill it this season. And I think us killing it this season and really going crazy and winning, that'll be the, the, the topper on the cake for it. And if they cut us after that, then it's like, you know, we did everything we can do. I was going to ask, how's the, how's the training been going even amid this? Because, I mean, like, I feel like they could go both ways. You could mail it in and be totally stressed out about it, or you could take this as motivation. Yeah, I take it as I'm, – I'm a very motivated and driven person. So I was already well motivated when I was ranked top three in the ACC and finished eighth because I got disqualified for something I didn't do. And then on top of that, the outdoor season getting canceled. I haven't stopped training since March. Since they sent me home, I have not stopped training. I've been training every single day since that day. And I feel like this kind of like just tripled my frustration 
and training has been going amazing. Like our jumps group probably looks the best that it's looked in years. Um, as far as like how we've looked when I first got here, looks we look so good. Sprinters look really good. Everybody's looking very motivated and driven because it's like we're it's either we gonna do it or not. Like our back is against the wall. We have no choice. But I feel like this season, especially now that we have this awkward attention on us, like we have to perform. We have no choice but to do so. It's tough right now with recruiting because you just like there is sort of like this pause where it's like I don't know if there's going to be like a program in a year from now as of right now like there isn't for some kid in high school who was looking at Clemson as being like the next chapter in their athletic career what's sort of like your message to them right now when this this future is sort of like hanging the balance what I would say to if I was in this position I would tell myself to do what's best for you in the situation. Um, don't make a decision too soon, but just do what's best for you and, and what you wanna do. Like if they want to come to Clemson and unfortunately it doesn't happen, go to the best school that will offer the most for you. You know, Don't bank off of what we're doing to make a life decision because college is a big decision. Like you don't wanna just transfer all over the place, it's stressful. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just feel like just doing and that's what I told my teammates that potentially want to transfer it. Do what's best for you. I'm happy for you. We're family. But I'm going to stay here and fight because I could have left. I could have been gone by January, you know, at a different school competing. So I just feel like if you do what's best for you, but keep your eyes open because this might get turned around. But if you feel doubt, then move somewhere else. Your mom, who had sort of some of her initial doubts about you going out to South Carolina and, and going through with your career at Clemson, what, did, what has she said so far about seeing you take a leadership role in this fight? My, my mom is so proud of me. Like, she always tells me how proud she is of me. And I feel like that's something that keeps me going because at the end of the day, my life goal is to make sure she's happy, you know, because she raised me. She's the reason why I'm the person I am today. Um, and just her words of affirmation it keeps me going and she's like she's she's proud of me I can just say that hands down she's proud of me I know that for a fact all right final question I've got before we move into the last questions that I ask every guest and this is because I'm a Notre Dame football fan do you think Mm -hmm. Notre Dame beating Clemson in football the week after they cut the Clemson track team was karma for cutting the team I've it, it's so like everything that happened that that week was so weird and <laughs> I don't you know but I um I, I know Trevor was out at that point in time because he had got COVID um DJ the the quarterback that took over he's from California as well he's learning and I feel like he's taking great leadership and um taking over and and just killing it, you know, like whether they lost or they won, he was killing it and he's learning young. So I don't feel like it's karma. It's just something on their side. It's just a learning process. It's a bump in the road. They're getting over. But um, it was just awkward how it all happened. Like that, that whole week felt unreal because we haven't lost in so long. Yeah. So I was just um, like, oh, okay. I'm still hoping that it's the same result at the ACC championship in December. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, we got to win, bro. We got to win. 
All right. Final questions I ask every guest. Now, this first one, it's it's trickier because you know you're a jumper, and so probably doesn't get, you don't get as much coverage. But what's the meanest thing you've read about yourself on Let's Run dot com? On Let's Run dot com, I haven't I haven't looked at like I don't really look at comments or articles. Yeah, like, I was about to say like YouTube or, or or TikTok. Has anyone really grilled you on any of these comments? Every platform. I've been grilled on every platform, especially when other pages post me. Um, somebody, what? There was one thing that had pissed me off. I think, what was it? It was something about like something Dwight Howard had going on back in the day. Like they said, they tied me into that somehow because I did some type of dunk. I was just like, Really, I don't really know what was, I don't remember what was said, but I remember that day I was so mad I decided I'm not reading comments anymore because <laughs> they were just out of pocket. Some of them just do it for attention, you know? Oh, 100%. But, yeah, the cra- but... The crazy part is, like, I'm sure, yeah, because your dunks are ridiculous, the videos are awesome, and the comments are, you know, maybe 85 90%, like, holy shit, like, this is amazing. And then there's the one jerk who says something, and it sticks with you over those other comments. Yeah. Oh, here's something over the weekend. I posted the news, um, like me talking on the news with the protest, right? Some dude has said, like, he was like, thanks, asshole, for spreading COVID. I'm like, damn. I'm like, okay. I, my bad. Like, okay. What's the funniest drug testing story you have? The funniest drug testing story? Uh, what happened? They, I remember, um, let me see, it might be my first year here, because I don't smoke or anything, obviously, because I'm an athlete, but I remember there was one time, I took a drug test, and I think there was like a protein, it was like a detox protein thing that I drink. And I was like, it was my first time drinking it. And I took my drug test. I was so nervous because I was like, I don't even know if, you know what I'm saying? If, if this, if I'm, this, this is legal. Like I got it from 7-Eleven, but I was like, I don't know if this is legal. Like I was just nervous because I'm at a D3, I was at a D3 school. So being at a D1, I'm like, damn, they might catch me for this. Like it's a, you know, but obviously it was a regular just energy drink and I passed, but it was just the fact that I was really nervous about a 7-Eleven drink that I drank. And then, yeah, I was just like, got to read those labels. <laughs> yeah. 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 Caution signs on them. So. All right. If you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a nice little conversational pace with you, where would the run take place and who would it be with? I would go, I would go, I love Hawaii. I've been to Hawaii multiple times. I would go to Honolulu and I would go to Maui because it's more chill and I would go on a run with Kobe Bryant for sure. Ooh, that's a good answer. That does sound great. (laughs) Final one is not, has nothing to do with running or, or jumping. But I know, I think I can guess what your answer is going to be. If you get 25 shots from half court and you make one, it's a full, full size, regulation size basketball court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? Yes. 
Yes. I shoot. You said from half court? Yeah. From half, yes, yes, I'll take it. Because I can shoot free throws from half court. Like, I don't have to jump from half court. I'll be taking that for sure. Of all the guests I've had, I feel like the, the most confident I'd be in of all the guests, it would be you to hit the hit that one shot for $25 million. And, you know, I'm in the camp most of the part. I'm like, $25 million is not my price of freedom, so I wouldn't do it. But I feel yeah. confident you would be able to do it. <laughs> Yeah, twenty. Yeah, for one shot, one out of twenty-five. Yes, I hit in the first five for sure, hands down. All right, Anthony. So, where can people find you? What you're on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, everywhere. I'm everywhere. TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, Kick, whatever you want to find <laughs> me at. I'm everywhere. My usernames are the same across all platforms. Hamilton Junior. The O is a zero, and I'm I'm active. Love it. And, and the petition to sign the Save Clemson track and field is, is usually in your bio in most of these places, right? Yeah. Yes, it's a link tree bio to all my social media. Um, and at the top, it's to sign the petition. So if you guys want to go sign that or if you haven't already, then just do us that favor and make it happen. Everyone counts. Absolutely. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Appreciate you for having me, bro. We got to do it again sometime soon thanks to anthony for the chat definitely loved his energy and i'm sure that's not the last that you'll hear from him consider checking out his profile and signing the petition to save clemson track raise some awareness for anthony's message and share this episode to your instagram story tag sidious mag and we'll reshare it to all of our followers and if you're interested in sponsoring the sidious mag podcast over the holiday season contact us chris at sidiousmag.com to get the word out about your brand event product or whatever you want That's it for me. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Stay safe and have a happy Thanksgiving. See you next week. Legs are feeling good.